The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome, everybody, in the name of Jesus Christ here in the room. And once again, welcome to everybody online. We are glad that you're tuning in. We're glad that you're here with us, and you're here for our final sermon in this series, God and Technology, Faithfulness in a Digital Age. Uh, but I see a lot of unfamiliar faces out here, so I'm glad you've joined us for the end of this, and I hope there's some unfamiliar faces online as well. And I hope that you're always looking for opportunities to put into practice the words that we proclaim up here. I hope that you're looking for opportunities to put flesh on the words that we speak in church. And so we wanted to provide one opportunity for you from this series. Uh, In a few weeks from now, we're going to begin the season of Lent here at the Springs. And Lent is a time of fasting, it's a time of prayer, and and a time of giving, a time to examine our relationship with God and with each other. And so in the spirit of this sermon series, we wanted to do a little Lent tech fast. So about 40 days, and this is a chance for us, as Ben put it in his opening sermon in this series, to kind of disconnect in order to reconnect to kind of step back from our technologies and create a little bit of space for some human connection, for connection in the church and connection with God. So we've got a little menu put together, some ideas, you know, as simple as no phones at the dinner table during all of Lent, or maybe as radical as no social media the entire time. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, So maybe you come up with something on your own, though, Spend some time, pray about it, brainstorm, talk about it. We hope you have some ideas. We'd love for you to join us in a little Lent Tech Fast this year at the Springs as we begin the season of Lent together on February 17. So that said, let's go ahead and wind down this series, God and Technology, Faithfulness in a Digital Age. We're in Genesis chapter 11 this morning. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are wonderful and beautiful and true, and you tell us that you are the truth. Lord, help us to hear your truth this morning. We ask for your Holy Spirit's power and illumination and presence 
And God, I ask you for the gift of preaching today. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Technology shapes our imaginations. Our technologies tell us what kind of world we think is possible. They tell us what kind of world we can imagine, what's good, what's worthwhile, what's sane. There was a tweet that went viral, actually, that captured this a little while back, a tweet by a journalist named Jason Gay. He said, there's a guy in this coffee shop sitting at a table, not on his phone, not on a laptop, just drinking coffee like a psychopath. We can't even imagine a world anymore where someone wants to just sit in a coffee shop and be alone with their thoughts. We are so hyper-connected. That's the kind of world that our technology allows us to imagine now because technology shapes our imaginations. And one of the reasons it's powerful to do this is because technology isn't neutral. It has a purpose. That's the simple but profound statement that Ben started this series with. Technology has purposes. It has aims and ends and goals. And as much as we can shape our technology, it also shapes us. But we can direct technology. We can aim its purposes at times. Right? In fact, we can aim it in even competing directions. Imagine if I described to you a man plunging a knife into the body of another man. I might be describing a murder, but I also might be describing a life-saving surgery. Same technology, same tool, a knife, a scalpel, very different ends, very different aims. Technology can be aimed at life or it can be aimed at death. It can be aimed at heaven. It can be aimed at hell. And so the question we've got to ask this morning is, are we aiming technology at our kingdom or God's kingdom? That's one of the ways we've got to evaluate technology to be faithful in a digital age is to ask, are we aiming our technology at life or at death? Are we aiming it at our kingdom or are we aiming it at God's plan and purposes? And that's what we want to ask this morning as we jump back into the Tower of Babel story in Genesis chapter 11. Let's jump into verse 1 again. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. One of the ways technology advances history is by enhancing our materials, when we think about you know, really early human history, we call that the Stone Age, right? a time when human tools were pretty much made of or used against stone. And then that, of course, progressed to the Bronze Age, an age when metalworking uh, got more sophisticated and became more important to human beings. And then, of course, that goes on to the Iron Age and so on and so forth until we get to the Digital Age, right? where our age so we think, is defined by our hyper-sophisticated communication technology. 
And so we see that in Babel, right? They're using bricks instead of stone. They're using tar for mortar. And also, there's a communication technology at play in Genesis 11. Verse 1, the whole world had one language and common speech. Language is a kind of technology. And it's going to play a really important role in this story in the way God responds to it, right? So in verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So they start to build a city, They start to build a tower. They want to build it all the way up to the heavens to make a name for themselves. And they're reflecting this early idea in Genesis that human beings who've been made by their creator are also kind of little creators, right? We can't create out of nothing like God does. Only he can do that. But we're little creators. We can take the raw materials of experience of the universe and alter them and enhance or distort the world. We can cultivate it. And this ability of us as little creators uh, making human-made technology has really come to shape our world in even weightier and weightier ways as we've gone on, right? I actually saw a headline just this last week that said human-made stuff now outweighs all life on earth. So what they're saying, this was published in one of the leading scientific journals in the world, by the way, last month. And what they're saying is that all the stuff that human beings make, highways, shopping malls, houses, refrigerators, paper clips, all of that, estimate what that weighs, and these scientists are now saying that it weighs more than all of the life on earth, all of the biomass, the animals, plants, fungi, bacteria. Isn't that incredible? Right? They're, they're actually saying that, that plastics alone, just plastics, is, is supposed to weigh more than both marine and terrestrial animals on earth. It's incredible. And, and so... This ability to to make human-made stuff, human-made technology, drives and defines the world more today than it ever really has. And so it's imperative for us, now more than ever, to ask this question that we've opened with, right? Are we aiming our technology at our kingdom or at God's kingdom? Are we aiming all this human-made, cultivated, good stuff, but are we aiming it at our kingdom or at God's kingdom? In Babel, they weren't aiming it at God's kingdom. That much becomes clear as we continue in the story. So they, they say, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So we see a couple different motivations of the people at Babel. Right? They want to, one, make a name for themselves. And if you were with us in our Revelation sermon series last 
semester, we actually talked a little bit about the Tower of Babel. We talked about how they're aiming at self-love, right? Babel's a city founded not in the love of God, but in the love of themselves and their own self-glorification, right? So they're aiming this tower at their own glory, at their own kingdom, building it up to heaven. But there's another motivation happening too. Notice that they say, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They've tipped their hand here that they have been aiming technology at their kingdom rather than God's because this is precisely the opposite of what God wants. In fact, just two chapters before Genesis 11 in chapter 9, God It says in chapter 9, Blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So Babel wants to stay isolated. Babel wants to, to stay in this one little spot and build up to heaven and build their own name, a name that's autonomous and separate from the name of Yahweh. They want their own glory. But that's not God's plan. God wants them to fill the earth. God wants humankind not to stay in one little isolated spot, but to spread across his entire kingdom, to spread all over the world and to fill it. But Babel is swept up in their own possibilities. Babel is swept up in the possibility of their own glory. And they're not asking if this is something they should do or not. They're just doing it. And I think that actually gets at one of the problems with technology today is that we often don't ask the right questions about technology. I think oftentimes we ask of technology, can we? But we often fail to ask, should we? When it comes to technology, and this goes for human history, it goes for us in our daily lives, it goes for Silicon Valley, we're often asking, can we, without asking, should we? Can we do this? Can we create that? Can we develop it? Can we spend that political capital? Can we get the resources? Can we? Can we do it? And science is really good, by the way, at asking this question of, can we? That's what science is great at because it limits itself by definition to this idea of can we? How does it work? Can we do it? But science and technology and science specifically is unable to ask the question, should we? Because should we is a question of value. Should we is a question of ethics. It's a question of theology. Should we be doing this? Should we even try this? Should anyone ever be attempting this? So often we fail to ask, should we? And we ask, can we instead? And that's exactly what's happened in Babel, right? Babel hasn't asked, should we? They've just been swept up in this possibility. Can we do it? Let's do it. Let's build this tower, right? And so in verse 7, come, God says, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. 
So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So God takes their technology, their bricks and their tar and their language, and he subverts their technology that's aimed at their kingdom And he points it back towards his plan. Because God is powerful to subvert, and God is powerful to direct it back to his plan. This is our final week in this sermon series, God and Technology. And we've not yet talked about the most decisive, most important technology at the heart of Scripture. Because at the heart of the story of God in Scripture is a single, decisive, insidious piece of technology. At the heart of Scripture is the technology of the cross. Have you ever thought about the cross as a piece of technology? What are its purposes? What are its aims? How does it help us imagine the world? John chapter 19, Pilate brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. The cross helps humans imagine a world without certain other humans. That's the kind of imaginative world that the cross technology makes possible. Right? The chief priests, the leaders in Jesus' day, they knew if they could pull the right political levers, if they could push the right religious buttons, if they could stir up enough strife around this provocative figure, Jesus, they could get the Romans to invoke this technology called the cross, and they could remake the world in their image, a world without Jesus. Because that's the kind of world that the cross allows us to imagine. And here's how the cross does that. The cross does that first by being a technology of shame. Or leading up to the crucifixion, shame is heaped upon this person. Right? This is the death of, of criminals, of rebels, of slaves. And they are, they're stripped, usually naked. They're beaten within an inch of their life. And they're nailed and hung up high for all to see in a public spectacle of scorn and shame. And so the cross makes it thinkable, right? The cross makes this horrific act doable by being a technology of shame. But it's not just a technology of shame, it's also a technology of death, Right? Here's how the cross works. Usually the victim dies because they can't breathe anymore. Right? They, they have to pull themselves up 
to take a breath in their lungs and they can't do it any longer, so they suffocate. The cross is this technology of death that essentially harnesses gravity in order to take that human's life. Right, so it takes creation and it twists it for the purposes of anti-creation. Right, it takes life and existence and twists it for the purposes of death and nothingness. So that we can imagine a world without certain other humans. And so when Jesus goes to the cross... Jesus is taking a technology pointed at death and he's bending it back towards life. Jesus, on the cross, exposes himself to all the shame the world has to offer in order to expose the shameful things that humans can do with technology. On the cross, Jesus takes a technology aimed at shame, aimed at death, aimed at destruction, and he uses it for salvation because God is powerful to subvert our technology. God is powerful to bend it back towards his plan. And so here's the good news, church. The good news is that there is no technology that can survive the holy fire of God's love. Every single technology is subservient to his omnipotent power. There is no bullet, there is no bomb, there is no shackle, there is no prod, there is no crown of thorns, no criminal's cross that can survive the holy fire of God's eternal love. And so God has given us not just salvation, but an imagination to see a world with no crosses. To see a world where the least of these are loved. To see a world where the last become first. On the cross, Jesus has dismantled the worst that our shameful technologies can do. And he has shown us how to point them back towards life. That's what Jesus has done on the cross. And that's what we stand right now and praise him for this morning, church. Let's praise our Savior.